Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, intriguing ideas, and lessons learned over time. Let's jump in. We do love our pets, dogs, cats, rabbits, birds, you name it. We want to share our homes with them. They bring us joy, companionship, and even good for our health. Pet ownership hit a peak during the pandemic, perhaps due to the isolation and loneliness that ensued, but the realities of caring for another living being, not of our own species, comes with a variety of challenges. Aftia Lacanis, a representative of Nine Lives Greece, brings some of these challenges to light in discussion with us today. Nine Lives Greece is a network of volunteers that is dedicated to the reduction of the stray cat overpopulation through trap, neuter, return programs in Athens, Greece. So let's pounce and play all things pets and learn more about these loyal and lovable creatures. Walker, I have been so looking forward to this episode and apparently our podcast <laughs> here has been too. She was chiming in in your intro there. You have, have you? Yeah, I don't call my family the Harris Sue for nothing. Well, I've always loved that name. It suits you quite well too. Minus a cow and some chickens, your family has a few pets. We do, and you never know. I mean, my kids have been pushing for a cow for a long time, but I don't think we have the space. <laughs> the current tally is two cats, two dogs, and one fish, Natsume. Oh, well, we are blessed with pets too. There is our old English bulldog, Winnie, who lives on the first floor of our house, and Poppy, our fabulous feline, who lives in a separate area of the house. Poppy is very curious about Winnie, but... Winnie, well, let's say she's not so fond of Poppy. <laughs> yeah, that makes it a little bit it's more tough. complicated. <laughs> it does. I wouldn't say I live in a zoo, but I certainly feel like I'm a referee in the middle of an ongoing battle in our house. Yeah, yeah, I, I can sympathize a little bit. I do have to intervene in the occasional cat scrap, but otherwise it's pretty peaceful, thank goodness, around here. So you must have grown up with pets, right, Harris? I did. In fact, I think my first pets were gerbils that I would read to every night. I would pull them out one by one and hold them in my little hand and my book on the other hand. I am sure they weren't that interested, but I thought it was a <laughs> with great a little thing. flashlight. Did you have the <laughs> yeah. flashlight and the lights are turned yeah, out? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Those two were named Chestnut and Corey, and Aww. I did have a puppy who was my heart, but uh, she ran away. She got spooked by a cat named Darth Vader. For years, there were sightings of her in St. John's, Newfoundland, but uh, we, n we never found her. And of course, we've had a string of cats and there were some turtles and frogs and other things mixed in. That is so hard. Yeah. We had so many pets growing up. Dogs, cats, birds, fish, hamsters, a guinea pig, a few rabbits, a turtle, a snake, and and a toad I brought back from a trip to Ohio. Wow. How'd you get it across the border, Walker? <laughs> In a shoebox. <laughs> Fantastic. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> I bet. Well, I think you have me beat. I was going to ask you whether you were a dog person or a cat person, but now I'm wondering whether I should ask you if you're a toad person. <laughs> I might very well be. Um, I would have definitely said that I was a dog person if you had asked me a few years ago, but I have to say that I'm pretty obsessed with our little torty cat, Poppy. Mm. She is so smart, funny, and frankly, she demands very little from us at all. Yeah. Which is not what I can say about our dog. I know. Dogs are <laughs> so much more demanding. They need that social time and interaction. 
I love my doggies, but I've always had a soft spot for my cats. Yeah. You know, some people, though, they never grew up with pets and can't fathom the idea of living in the same space with an animal. I know. I personally can't imagine living without a pet and even seem to find vacation pets wherever I stay when I'm traveling. But it is a big responsibility and there is a cost associated too. You need to provide medical care, a healthy, clean living environment for them, safety and security, but most of all, love. Oh, and depending on the species and breed, there can be a lot of fur. Yes, I know that battle well. Yeah, I've got two rough collies and they're like Lassie, remember, of old TV series fame. And those creatures can shed, Mm -hmm. like they are champion shedders. I actually took a wad of their fur yesterday and hung it outside for the birds to line their nests with. I know, I saw that on Instagram. At least it's now coming to some use rather than just clogging up my vacuum. You could be a spokesperson for a good quality vacuum company. I could, because I've had probably (laughs) eight to ten tried them all oh my gosh and let me just tell you those ones that say they're really good for pet hair no not they they still can't handle the collie fur (laughs) but despite the work and care involved with pet ownership according to psychology today pets provide psychological and physical benefits too Mm -hmm. you probably know that just petting or holding a pet can increase dopamine levels in your brain which can reduce depression and loneliness as well as increase self-esteem and happiness Moreover, pets are also known to reduce your blood pressure, slow your heart rate, and decrease the level of stress hormone cortisol. Caveat Harris, that is if your pets get along. Yeah, that is so (laughs) true. They can spike up the stress meter sometimes. In your case, I think the benefits would come from spending time with your pets one-on-one. I think so. Pets can offer their caregiver the feeling of being needed too and that benefit of routine. Because dogs need to go outside for walks and do their business, they offer people who tend to isolate themselves a non-negotiable reason to have to go outside. So once your dog has dragged you outdoors, you're probably more likely to make connections with other dog owners or neighbors that you meet during your walk. So there's no better cure for loneliness. Yeah, I completely agree with this. I've I've seen it happen. I once had a friend who was experiencing extreme loneliness. And once she adopted a dog and started going to the dog park regularly, she pretty quickly found a bunch of new friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if you were allergic to cats and dogs? You can't really take your bearded dragon down the street into the park, can you? Well, I'm well, sure there are people who possible, do. I guess. <laughs> I don't know if they make leashes that size, <laughs> but anyway, there are certainly breeds of dogs and cats for people who suffer from allergies. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Louise B. Miller noted that any animal can be a source of social support, even fish. Dr. Miller mentions that even the sound of the fish filter in the aquarium can be relaxing, as well as the experience of watching the little fish while they swim. Yeah. Pets aren't for all people though, are they? Depending on your own childhood pet experience, your financial and social situation, and even your own cultural customs, pets just don't fit into some people's lives. Right. I read that some non-pet owners actually feel judged for foregoing pet ownership, like they were denying their their children this all-important life experience. Wow, I think that's a bit harsh. People shouldn't have to justify their decision to have a pet in their lives or not. But for me, though, I can't imagine not having animals in my life. As I said, they're just such a part of my family and bring us all so much joy and happiness. So humans haven't always kept pets, though, have they, Harris? Well, we really don't know, Walker. According to a Smithsonian article written by Alicia Alt, it is likely that tens of thousands of years ago, dogs may have become the first domesticated animal. 
though we really don't know if they became part of human society for the sake of companionship like pets are today. Dr. Gregor Larson, director of the University of Oxford's Paleogenomics and Bioarchaeology Research Network, featured in this same article I just mentioned, stated that it's evident that many people who have pets have also free time and wealth. Mm. So it would be kind of interesting to study more about the practice of keeping pets within the home. It could offer valuable information about human social development and history. I love this. That's so cool. Yeah, it totally is cool, isn't it? Miss Alt's article provided some very interesting information regarding the early history of pets. For instance, 12,000 years ago, dogs and cats were buried alongside humans. Why remains unclear. The Romans, too, were also known to have kept small dogs 2,000 years ago. And there's this cool fact. Professor Larson stated that Europeans even made clothing with small pockets for tiny dogs. They traded them, made portraits of them, and even started breeding them to act and look a certain way. So this is all interpreted to be a pretty good indicator that dogs were pets at that time and not just used for working. Tiny pockets for tiny dogs. That's so cute. Isn't that cute? How (laughs) tiny are those dogs and how big are those pockets? That's what I want to know. Pet ownership is truly a global phenomenon in today's world. According to some 2015 statistics by PetFoodIndustry.com, Argentina, Mexico, and Brazil have the highest percentage of pet ownership, followed by Russia and then the USA, where a whopping 86.9 million homes have a pet, according to Forbes. Dogs are the most popular pet worldwide, followed by cats, but I imagine a lot of people have more than one pet like us, Harris. Right. I think more the merrier, Walker, (laughs) though my husband doesn't always agree with me. So cats may not top the list with some pet owners, but they certainly top the list with our guest today. We are excited to introduce our guest, Eftia, a representative from Nine Lives Greece, a network of volunteers that is dedicated to the reduction of the stray cat overpopulation through trap-neuter return programs in Athens, Greece. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, Eftia. Hello, lovely. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you too. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you too for inviting me. When I think of Greece, I cannot help but think of cats. They seem to pop their little heads out from every corner when you least expect it. And cats can be found on postcards, calendars, all manner of things in Greece. Has this connection between Greece and cats always existed or has it developed more recently? Yes, it's true. Cats are quite the landmark when it comes to Greece's overall branding. It's blue and white cats and bougainvillea, basically. That's right. The stray cat population in Greece is massive. It's a much more dire situation than is presented on the postcards. Unfortunately, Greek culture is still quite averse to to neutering and spaying. And obviously Mm. due to the mild climate and the abundance of food sources, it's very easy for the the population to grow exponentially. Um, As for the historical connection, because there there isn't a lot of information around, but between Greece um, and cats, it's said that the first cat grave was actually discovered in Cyprus. That was dated around the 8th century BC, but the first cats were said to have appeared as a domesticated animal, at least, in Greece around the 5th century BC. Uh, This most likely happened through Egypt, where they're known to have been worshipped, as they should be, (laughs) if you ask me. Yeah, they should be. I agree. I have two of my own. (laughs) Yeah, I have one as well, because she can't accept more than that. (laughs) Right. She is worshipped, for sure. They also came to Greece through the trade routes uh, because they were held on board ships to exterminate rodents, etc. 
And they started growing in Greece, the population of them, when they replaced ferrets as a hunting animal. to exterminate uh, rodents because previously ferrets were a very popular pet but obviously cats were better hunters so in time they became their preferred pet Um, and throughout the years and years we reached the situation we're in today and quite a rough estimate obviously as it's impossible to calculate accurately and I would consider quite low but what is said is that there's over two million stray cats in the country. Oh, you're kidding. Well, that is why they are popping their heads around every corner because there's just so many of them. Exactly. Yeah. That is so interesting. So can you tell me then a little bit more about your organization, Nine Lives Greece, and and how it was established and responding to this situation? Of course. So we set up in 2006, around 17 years ago. Uh, We became an official society in 2008, and at the time there was no other charity in Athens for the cats, neither any municipal or state programs. The founders had a very strong background in animal welfare already, and obviously a very special connection to and love for cats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how it all started, and we grew and grew, and that's uh, how we got to where we are today. And so how do you help the stray cat population in Athens? So we help in a variety of ways. First and foremost, as you aforementioned, with our TNR, our Trap Neuter Return programs, uh, we have them all around Athens. We also are very proud to say that last year we managed to neuter over 1,700 cats. Wow, that's amazing. Very proud number. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have numerous colonies that we feed. It's about 500 cats a day that we feed um, from with our volunteers. Uh, we also rehome a lot of cats that simply can't survive on the streets any longer. We run adoption programs as well. And of course, we try to educate people as much as possible to build more compassionate, let's say, attitudes towards the strays. Absolutely. That is just incredible work. I Cats are very near and dear to Lauren's and my heart. So it's it's very reassuring to hear that there are people who care so much and contribute so much of their time. So since many of our feline friends are roaming free in mm-hmm. Athens and in Greece, uh, and not everybody is a cat person like the three of us here, do you find that it is sometimes a struggle to get ongoing support to keep up the care of street cats? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, it is it's very much a struggle to get support, either financial or practical. Unfortunately, many people are very hostile to cats in their neighborhood. Uh, they believe they're quite dirty and unhygienic. Poisoning is still quite common, which I'm sure is quite shocking to hear from in, in Canada. It is. Um, it still happens. Uh, drivers are also quite careless, so that leads to a lot of accidents. We try through education and promotion to build contacts within the local communities and win people over. And we show them basically that cat colonies, when they are neutered, um, it's so much better. They can be healthy and stable, and there's no more sickly kittens or any smelly spraying and all the things that that annoy them. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of anachronistic attitude towards animals in Greece and non-existent government involvement, unfortunately. And unlike other European member states, we don't closely uh, regulate pet ownership or licensing and things like that. Oh. Um, but it has been improving in recent years. So although at the moment standards of the animal welfare are below par, hopefully with the necessary legislation, um, if it's adequately implemented in the future, we can see 
these things changing and receive more support. <laughs> Fingers Absolutely. Crossed. I hope so. Well, I hope what we're doing here today will, will bring some more support your way. Hopefully that would be amazing. FTS, a significant portion of Greece is rural. Mm -hmm. Do you find that there's a difference between the lives cats live in the countryside and on the islands versus their existence in Athens? Yes, definitely. Um, it, it is. I think maybe most people would think that maybe in the countryside things are better. Obviously, not that much traffic, um, not that industrial, but actually it's the opposite. In most parts of the countryside and on some of the islands, obviously, to pause there a second, the islands are obviously the cats on the islands and the islands actually themselves, they're luckier due to tourism. Uh, at least during the summer, the tourists do help a lot and are a lot more compassionate with the stray animals. Obviously, it's un unusual for them. Um, but in the countryside, cats are often considered working animals. The job to keep down the rodent population so people don't feed them. There's this myth that they need to be hungry in order to hunt, which is ridiculous, obviously. And as in most countries, people living in the countryside, they tend to be a bit more traditional. So spaying and neutering is not really the rule. It's considered unnatural. Obviously, that leads to frequent litters, unwanted kittens, and etc. However, I must say that having grown up on a very touristic island myself, there is a massive difference between the areas where expats live and the areas where they don't. I've noticed that wherever there is a very large expat population, there are usually various charities and societies set up that care for the stray cats and dogs. So at least that's a, that's a good thing. And there, there are quite a few places in Greece, even in the countryside, that do have expat populations. It's not only the islands. So that has made a difference. Well, that's a really interesting point you make. Now, I can personally remember on one of my trips to Hydra, sitting down at a taverna for dinner and having six, eight, 10 cats <laughs> roaming around our table. Now, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. It was, a, it was a huge novelty to me. Can you offer some suggestions for our listeners who may be visiting Greece and give them some tips on how they should behave with cats if they see them during their travels? Because it would be a novelty for many of them. I'm sure, I'm sure it would be. I do. When I, I personally feed um, twice a week as well in one of our colonies and the, always the looks I get from tourists, uh, <laughs> they're very shocked, but also very happy to see that we look after all, all our cats. Um, as a general rule, we suggest not feeding the strays when in a restaurant. I am guilty of it myself, I have to be honest, <laughs> but it's not a, always a good idea. It could irritate the owners, even some other customers. Obviously, that could result in the cats being harmed. Apart from that, though, it's always a good idea to keep any leftover fish and feed it to the strays. If someone does know that they're going to run into stray cats in Greece and they've listened to us, <laughs> they could always carry some cat food with them. A good place to leave food is always by rubbish bins, which doesn't sound very hygienic, but cats always do get there and they'll surely appreciate the food. That's where they usually look for it. Obviously, providing them with water is also very important through the summer. Uh, oh, and one thing we see a lot, please don't give cats or kittens milk. It gives them mm -hmm. diarrhea. And I know that giving kittens milk is quite a common practice. I do see it often, but it, it's a misconception that it's actually good for them. And apart from that, obviously report any bad behavior or that you see to the police, um, any ill or injured cats you can take to the nearest vet or even contact, obviously, local animal welfare groups. 
hopefully they exist, <laughs> especially on the islands, that they, they, they usually are organizations that can help out. I think it's important to stress here that Nine Lives Greece, we're only active in the city of Athens. Right. Uh, so we don't necessarily um, help cats in other areas of Greece because we're unable to, but we do have a big contact list of other organizations on our website. Um, and if we are contacted, we always try to, to match the request with the best suited uh, local people to, to help out. This is really good information, really good practical information. I was really surprised to read that your organization is run by a handful of volunteers with no office, shelter facilities, or animal ambulance or transport van, and you receive no state funding or assistance. This is really remarkable. Can you tell our listeners who may want to help your organization how they can do this? Yes, um, of course, it's true. Our organization depends solely on the valuable work of our volunteers and obviously the contributions from our donors. Uh, the state, again, unfortunately, doesn't offer any assistance whatsoever. There are numerous ways that one can help out Nine Lives Greece. Uh, if you check out our website, ninelivesgreece.com, you can donate to our cause. We have various uh, monthly donation programs available. We also obviously have the option to provide a, a one-off donation, uh, you can also sponsor a spay, which is lovely because we named the cat in, in your name as well. And of course, you can follow us on social media, spread the word. We have an Instagram and a Facebook account uh, in Nine Lives Greece in that name. And as I, we talked about postcards and calendars in the beginning of uh, our discussion, we also have Nine Lives merchandise from time to time. And every year we uh, produce calendars, which feature our very own stray cats from our colonies that we look after. And of course, all the profits from that uh, go towards helping, helping our babies, our furry babies. Well, this is fabulous. What a wonderful idea to sponsor a cat. It sounds like <laughs> yeah. a perfect Christmas gift or a birthday <laughs> gift for somebody. Yes, it's my favorite one as well. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, FTA. It was such a pleasure and I learned a lot. If you'd like to learn more about this organization and help them continue their great work, you can find Nine Lives Greece on Instagram and Facebook at, at Nine Lives Greece or their website, as we had mentioned earlier, www.ninelivesgreece.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much too. Thank you. Thank you, FTA. Wow, it is clear that people regard animals very differently around the world, including domestic animals. Mm -hmm. In many cultures and countries, pets are meant to live outside of the home and never inside. They're working animals that perform a service or function. I had a friend, now here's a story for you, Harris. I had a friend who was from a Mediterranean country. When his dog needed to be euthanized, the vet performed the sad task and then literally pushed the dog off the table in her clinic into a garbage bag on the floor. Oh my God. My friend was absolutely shocked and traumatized. Of course. Can you of imagine they in that were. very sad moment no. having to experience that? That is harsh and And that was a veterinarian. Yeah, a veterinarian. That behavior would not fly here in North America. I would say that overall North Americans are relatively sensitive to the health and safety of animals which is reflected in our animal welfare laws, though by no means are we perfect. Right. Just think of the term fur baby. Mm -hmm. That says it all to it me. It sure does. It really can be a little extreme, though. The designer clothes and pet retreats and spas with organic food and massage are a bit over the top. They are. But I do have to admit, Walker, that my fat cat, Fat Pumpkin does rock a hat from time to time. But Your podcat. Yeah, the podcat. <laughs> but that's another story. 
People do want to pamper their pets because they love them. Just anecdotally, we have been seeing a lot more often doggy spa amenities in condominiums, haven't we, Walker? We have. Like that scholar said, pets are an indicator of a society's wealth and available free time. Did you know that the global pet care industry is worth, okay, listen to this, $207.9 billion, Harris. That is insane. What it's are not we big, doing? It's huge business. Why aren't we in the pet industry, Walker? <laughs> Listen, what are we thinking? I'm making a little dog collar under the table here, right as we speak. <laughs> You're knitting, <laughs> knitting a little collar. <laughs> Apparently, dog owners spend more on their pets than cat owners, and probably all of those little Versace sweaters, that's mm-hmm. what they're spending them on. Cats are much more low maintenance, maybe because, I don't know, that they're less out and about. Yeah, probably. So how much money is too much to spend? on our pets? How many services are too many? Well, that's a very good question. Some pet owners would probably say there is no limit to what they would spend on their pets. Others, however, think that spending on their pet is frivolous and that perhaps donating money to charities would be a better use of their money than doggy spa days. Hmm. I read a funny little article that the Hudson Veterinary Hospital wrote that could help us to remain sensible pet owners and not raise any eyebrows, as they say. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I think I walk a very fine line sometimes with this, so hit me with it. Okay, this doesn't apply to you, Harris, but if you find yourself only talking about your animals when you're out with people or that you're talking only to your animals, you might be in trouble. Hmm. Do you speak baby talk to your dogs or cats, Harris? No, I don't, but I do talk to them. I can think of one red flag though, Walker. I know people who actually will leave a social event early because they say they need to check in on their pet. Okay. Do you think that this is an excuse just to leave the party early or are they really helicopter pet parents? I actually suspect the latter, Walker. There are some very pampered pets out there, though. Take, for example, Lucky Diamond, the late Maltese poodle who lived a glamorous luxury lifestyle of jet-setting vacations. Lucky's wedding, and that's the dog's wedding, let's be clear, (laughs) was reputed to cost $145,000, though sadly it turned into a remembrance as Lucky passed away before the big day. Or maybe you've heard of the German shepherd Gunther VI, who is worth more than $373 million and lives on a diet of steak and caviar. He made his millions when he inherited from his doggy dad, who is the best friend of a German countess. Crazy, right? Very crazy. Mm -hmm. And I haven't heard of either of these There you go. (laughs) Only to be born... Is a rich dog. <laughs> the Daily Mail says that being a crazy pet person can give you a longer life. Well, somehow I believe this, especially considering the health benefits we talked about earlier. Right. But what constitutes crazy, Walker? Well, I think there are varying degrees. There are people who would bankrupt themselves for a pet, even risk their own lives. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, though, there is just so much evidence to suggest that pets truly help their owners through periods of stress and trauma, for instance, a death in the family or even a divorce. Yeah. People with pets tend to have greater self-esteem. They tend to be more physically fit, less lonely, less fearful, and more extrovert than non-owners, I've heard as well. Wow, that's a real pitch for pet ownership. (laughs) I know, it all makes sense. Pets offer unconditional love. You can't beat that. You really can't. And of course, there are therapy animals in pets, right, Walker? Yes, therapy pets are regularly used as a form of therapy these days. They visit hospitals, care homes, daycares, and hospices, and they brighten the day of those people 
people, both young and old, healthy and unwell, that they visit. Yeah, I had a friend who had this beautiful old golden retriever who was a children's hospital therapy dog. And he was just one of those totally chill, gorgeous, gorgeous creatures. The joy he brought those little patients was immeasurable. But we're not really pet pushers, are we, Walker? Never purchase or adopt a pet for somebody else. And don't even do so for yourself unless you are ready and able to commit to that animal's care and well-being for the duration of their lives. It breaks my heart that there are still so many people out there who abuse and or abandon their pets. It does. And let's not forget the ongoing problem with puppy mills as well. Yeah, they are just horrendous. Whether it's right in front of our eyes or behind hidden closed doors, it's still an issue. Abused and unwanted pets is a serious problem, which certainly still keeps pet shelters run off their feet. But it's important to recognize that if people can no longer care for their pet for whatever reason... There is judgment-free help out there, isn't there? Absolutely. Just recently in Toronto, Canada, a dog named Max was abandoned at a park accompanied by a letter from his owner. The owner could no longer care for their dog because they had suddenly found themselves sadly homeless. After tracking down the owner, the local Humane Society offered the dog a temporary foster home for Max, but after some time, it was decided that Max would be most secure in a new home. And that's where he is, happily. Well, that's wonderful news. Yeah, it is. There's really no need to abandon pets in most places around the world. There are amazing services available that can help rehome your animals. You know, some people feel very strongly that pets should only be adopted from a shelter and not ever purchased from a breeder. I, for one, fully support our local humane societies and animal welfare organizations. But I do see this argument from both sides because... I have both purebred dogs and rescued cats. Yes, I do as well. And, you know, for my entire life, I wanted an English bulldog. We can get into the uh, politics associated with the breed, the squishy face breed, another time. Bulldogs simply don't come up as rescues Mm -hmm. that often anyway. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't been so stuck on the breed... I would likely not have felt the need to go to a breeder. And yet nine years later, when we wanted a kitten, it was extremely important to my daughter that we did get a rescue. And I likely would have regardless, since I just didn't feel swayed in the direction of one specific cat breed. Mm -hmm. Today, if I was going to get another dog, I'd most likely get a rescue. I see the immense value of adopting an animal that needs a home. Oh, I do too, Walker. It breaks my heart that so many animals are in need. But it's similar to your experience. We brought our first collie girl into our lives when the kids were tiny. A friend had a beautiful sable collie who was just bomb proof. She was gentle with kids of all ages. She loved other dogs. She liked cats. She liked other animals. And she was never, never aggressive. And this was something we thought was really important when our kids were really young. So we were drawn to our Chloe, who was two years old when we adopted her or or purchased her from the breeder, and she was the best decision we've ever made. Our dogs today are from the same breeder who have become our friends over the years, and they're just truly exceptional people. They have the highest standards of care when it comes to their dogs. Yeah, the term breeder seems to be a bit of a dirty word these days Mm -hmm. with adoption shelters being presented as a kinder, more socially conscious option. Mm -hmm. It has become a bit judgy out there, but perhaps that's because not all breeders are created equally. Right, Harris? Right. It has to be said, though, that a reputable breeder is not synonymous with a puppy mill. And I think sometimes people do associate the two. 
It's true that some breeders aren't ethical, but there are very reputable breeders who adhere to strict regulatory standards and care for and love their animals deeply. These breeders invest massive amounts of time, money, and energy into their dogs. So you really need to do your research and make sure that you're purchasing from a breeder who will be providing you with a healthy and happy pet. Yeah, definitely. So when you engage the services of a breeder, you often have the ability to meet the dog's parents and get a good sense of their temperament and if it's going to mesh with your family. You'll get a good understanding of their health history and their diet since birth. And if you're purchasing a puppy, you might have the opportunity to bond with that little guy or girl from birth or at a very young age. But there are so many older, more mature dogs and senior dogs that are looking for homes as well. Mm -hmm. Not everyone wants to go through the puppy training stages as well, right? Oh my gosh, no. My animals have mostly been adults when they've come home with me. And that's because I have enough children in my home to take (laughs) care of. So beyond cats and dogs, though, there are many options out there for the family pet. Like rabbits, fish, birds, Harris. Yeah, and even beyond those two, Walker, take, for example, hedgehogs, ferrets, amphibians, and reptiles, all of which make great pets. People keep frogs, salamanders, turtles, and snakes as well. Yeah, no snakes in my house, Walker. I've definitely drawn the line firmly in the sand on that one. But I did have African dwarf frogs once. They were the cutest little Mm -hmm. things. I actually don't mind snakes at all. I've handled many of them over the years. Okay, so when were you in the circus, Walker? What do you mean you've handled many snakes over the years? Which time, you mean, in the the circus? Or what circus? (laughs) Exactly. No, my brother was obsessed with snakes as a little boy and still loves them today. Just a few years ago, he had a ball python, which I used to hold all the time. Snakes are actually quite interesting creatures, and no thanks to their biblical connection, They've really gotten a bad reputation. Yeah, they do get a bad rap, don't they? I actually don't mind snakes either, but they're just not so cuddly, are they? No, maybe not. Anyway, I am much more scared of spiders, though. They're useful. I get it, but I'm afraid. Okay, well, spiders (laughs) fascinate me. I'm not really scared of them, though we do have some pretty big ones in Ontario, I have to say. But speaking of hedgehogs, my sister had one when she was young, and his name was very creatively... Hedgy. <laughs> and he passed away a long time ago, but he is still a legend in our family. Aww. Hedgehogs have really increased in popularity in most recent years. Yeah, they have. Back when my sister had one, they weren't popular at all. Did you know that today the hedgehog is considered a legal exotic pet? Whoa, I wouldn't have thought a hedgehog was exotic. I know, but all animals that are not domesticated are considered exotic, even though some birds and fish are not considered. Ferrets, hedgehogs, and chinchillas could also be said to be domesticated, but are still considered exotic. Hmm. Truly exotic pets include scorpions, tarantulas, foxes, and skunks, even though they're wild, and even the happy axolotl. Oh, I love axolotls. They are so (laughs) cute with their little smiley faces. They are happy. Did you know that an axolotl can live up to 15 years? No, I didn't. I would worry about having a large enough tank for them. They are actually quite sizable and that's a long time to live in a confined space. Right. Another fun fact about the axolotl is that they can regrow most of their body parts. Wow. Seriously? Seriously. I didn't know this. Pretty cool. 
What about the pot-bellied pig? Oh, they're so cute. They were all the rage in like the 90s or something, right, Walker? They were. And I have to admit, I've been pretty tempted over the years to get one. Ooh. But there is a misconception that they stay small. Yeah. I was really surprised. Yeah, they grow pretty big, I think. Pot-bellied pigs have a lifespan of 10 to 18 years, and they grow to the size of a medium to large-sized dog, but... They're heavier. Mm. They're very intelligent creatures and people underestimate the amount of exercise they require as well. It makes me think of Esther the Wonder Pig. Yes, Esther. Esther was purchased by her dads who thought when they bought her that she was a micro pig. And I think they lived in a condo apartment at the time. <laughs> but just two years later, she was 600 pounds. So they moved to a farm in rural Ontario and now they operate an animal rescue where Esther is very, very happy. Actually, Esther lives just a few minutes from my cottage. Ooh. I have always meant to go visit her. Road trip, Walker. <laughs> Absolutely. So I get falling in love with a piglet, but why would somebody want a tarantula? Oh, Harris, it's not my area of expertise. For, for someone who's dealt with arachnophobia most of her life, you're barking up the wrong tree. Oh, nice pet <laughs> metaphor. I thought you'd like that. Even Buzz had a pet tarantula in the movie Home Alone, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he did. Well, I know that they have a lifespan of approximately 10 to 25 years, which is a big range there. Mm. The oldest ever recorded tarantula lived to the ripe old age of 49. Wow. If I wasn't so creeped out enough already... I read that they actually molt. Yeah, they do. Ugh. We actually went in search of tarantulas in the Amazon rainforest a million years ago. Our guide put human sweat on a stick and waved it in front of a tarantula <laughs> burrow. Like they, they burrow these holes in the ground. I like how you're reenacting this in your stick. <laughs> Yeah, if you could see me out there, <laughs> listeners, I'm reenacting the whole thing. Anyway, he waved the stick in front of the burrow and out he came. He was enormous and he did not look like he would take very kindly to being moved out of his little burrow in the ground. So I imagine there are a lot of exotic pets like this that are legal to own, but they've got to be really hard to care for properly. Right. Exotic pet laws change from state to state in the U.S., and surprisingly, from province to province in Canada as well, our province of Ontario is in fact the only province without provincial legislation regarding the regulation of exotic animal ownership. Wow. It's all sort of municipally handled. Mm. Many people would argue that some exotic pets do not make good pets, mainly because they just can't be properly cared for and would do better to be living in the wild where mm. they should be, right? Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> They're meant to be. Yeah, that actually shocks me that we don't have that legislation in place in Ontario. So I know that in most parts of Canada, though, many primates are illegal mm -hmm. to own as pets. Do you remember the Ikea monkey? That went viral. I do. He was such a cute little... <laughs> guy and his sheepskin coat. I, I can still know. see him now. Me too. <laughs> For those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with the Ikea monkey story, in Toronto in 2014, a Japanese macaque escaped its owner's car and walked into Ikea. It is not legal to own a monkey in the city of Toronto, but you can in parts of Ontario. Hmm. Apparently, you aren't allowed to own pit bulls and orcas in the province, though. Well, that's very important information because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there who are planning to buy a killer whale for their bathtub. Yeah, I know, eh? Did you know that it's illegal to keep a skunk as a pet in Ontario? Yes, I did actually. It's pretty standard across Canada, but not a tiger. Oh, not a tiger. You can keep a tiger, but not a skunk. That just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> not that I want to have a skunk as a pet, although they are adorable, but 
Come on. I know. Check this out. Did you know that there are many more captive tigers in the U.S. than there are wild ones in the world? They're estimated to be as many as 10,000 tigers in the U.S. So who's keeping them? Tigers are not house cats. Yeah. Up until most recently, you didn't need to register these animals. And there was not a whole lot of requirements for ownership, breeding, or selling these beautiful cats. 30 states allowed for private ownership of predatory exotics like tigers, requiring only that you needed a USDA conservation label form and a license which cost about $30. Nine states required no permit or license at all. Apparently, there is quite a demand for tiger bones and products which are popular in traditional Chinese medicine. Under the Federal Endangered Species Act, captive bred tigers are only allowed for private possession as long as they are used for conservation. But apparently, none of the tigers bred in captivity in the U.S. are released. Wow. I really worry about these animals' welfare. It is no easy feat to provide a healthy habitat and diet for a tiger. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. The Guardian reported that there were 100,000 tigers in the wild in 1900, and today there are only 4,000 left. Compared to the estimated 10,000 in captivity in the U.S.? That's crazy. I know, I know. And in Canada, a 2020 World Animal Protection article estimated that there were 2,383 wild cats being kept as pets, and this includes lions, tigers, and servals. In Ontario, there are over 700 tigers thought to be kept as pets. I don't even know what to say to that. 700 tigers in Ontario being kept as pets. How are there no regulations preventing this or oversight for their welfare? I just don't get the motivation for keeping such a large predator as a pet because, Walker, they can eat you. (laughs) Right? Yes, they can. I know it's outrageous. Tigers are profitable. They're valuable. The skins bring in money, as does wine from the bones and medicinal products from ground bones and herbs. Did you know that people also make money off jaguars, canines, and bones? The teeth are sold for 200 to 300 in South America and also sold as tiger teeth in China for 5000 to $10,000. Wow, I'm floored. That is a lot of money. There are those who seek to breed tigers too, as they cost about $10,000 a year to feed and care for. Selling cubs could be seen as a way to finance tiger ownership. Sadly, the breeding is done irresponsibly and is reported that many of the cubs are born with birth defects, making them unsuitable for reintroduction into the wild or further breeding. It's terrible. Horrible, in fact. I know. And according to the World Wildlife Fund, only 6% of the large cats are thought to be in accredited zoos and aquariums. Most are in shady roadside zoo-like facilities or they're kept in backyards or in people's homes. An article I read noted an incident in 2005 when a California breeder had 11 tiger and leopard cubs in his attic, two tigers on the porch, and 58 dead tiger cubs in a freezer. They were also found to be approximately 30 tigers decomposing on the owner's property. It's terrible. It's disgusting. A crime, really. Most people do not have the knowledge or the proper facilities to care for them. No, they certainly don't. And that's so shocking and disturbing to hear. So what about the Big Cat Public Safety Act then in the U.S.? Right, right. It's very important. It was passed December 6, 2022. Essentially, the act prohibits big cats to be kept as pets and disallowed public contact with big cats, including interactive exhibits like cub petting. Hmm. People who own tigers in the U.S. may have their tigers confiscated this summer if they are unregistered by the U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife and will be required to provide the cat's date of birth, 
sex, and physical location and outline what the owner is doing to prevent breeding. So mm. they'll be able to track Good. where these tigers Good. are. So if you're thinking of getting an animal, which could be considered exotic, I would highly recommend that you really do your research. So many animals require specialized care to keep them healthy and safe. And in many cases, some animals are just not safe pets to own. Exactly. The article 10 Exotic Animals You Can Legally Own as Pets in Canada for Cansumer.ca suggests a few questions you should really ask yourself before taking on an exotic pet in your life. Okay. First of all, ask yourself, will it be safe to have this pet? Or very, will it very, kill me? Very good question. Yeah. Will this pet get along with other pets and humans? Or will it kill them? <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing here. <laughs> what is required to properly care for this pet? And can you do what needs to be done? Mm -hmm. Maybe, most importantly, do you have access to proper veterinary care for this animal? Right. Can you afford the food and vet bills? Very important questions. Mm-hmm. And lastly, will the smell, noise, or the look of this new pet bother anyone like right. your neighbors, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I recommend that anybody interested in an exotic pet think it through thoroughly, as I said. It's good practice to go to your federal, provincial, and municipal governments for more information about rules and regulations about owning a non-conventional pet. Because mm -hmm, it does vary from absolutely. level of government to level of government. And to think that I thought we would only be talking about Labradoodles and Calicos today, Walker. <laughs> you just never know where a conversation will take us, Harris. Too true. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your hosts, Harrison Walker. Subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. You can also say hi to us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker. We would love to hear from you.